Welcome to the Victorious Souls Podcast with self-love coach, Danielle Burnock. Things happen in our lives that make us feel powerless. But Danielle believes that anyone can become a victorious soul by reclaiming what belongs to them, their value, their belovedness, and their God-given superpower. The Victorious Souls Podcast is dedicated to empowering you to rise up, reclaim, and embrace the change from survive to thrive as a victorious soul through the power of love. And now, here's that lady on the internet who loves you, Danielle. Hello, welcome to my interview today, my live interview today. Today I have with me a gentleman named Michael Jakewith. He is a man who knows that you do not have to be a victim to your past. He not only freed himself from childhood trauma, he coaches other men on how to free themselves from lies and shame of their past and how to stand tall as a man. And so I will bring him in here for you to meet him. And for those of you who don't know me, I am Danielle Burnock from DanielleBurnock.com. Love yourself from Survive to Thrive, that lady on the internet who loves you. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for being on my show today and for sharing your story with my audience. Thank you. Danielle, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much as well. I was telling them that you are a man who knows that you can be free from your past, that you don't have to be a victim to the past and you help other men get free also. But can you tell the audience a little bit about you now? Who who is Michael Jakewith? Awesome. And thank you so much for the invitation. The best way to think of me is I'm like this high type A personality, you know, kind of like, you know, guy who clawed his way up and we'll discuss all this in detail and then said, you know what? That's not really what I want. And so to give you a glimpse, I'm married. I have six children. We live in Northern Idaho right now outside my window is about two or three feet of snow still on the ground here in middle <laughs> two March. Two or three feet of snow oh, yeah. still? Wow. It's so cold that when we got our baby chicks for this year, we have 30 baby chicks. We had to put them inside. So they're downstairs in the basement of room right now. 30 baby chicks. If I paused, if you might hear a little cheep, cheep, cheep in the background, that's real. Those are baby chicks down there. That's not a noise. But our kids carry the baby chicks around with them. And they're right now cleaning up some little pine shavings that have spread around through the house. And this, this is the life that we've chosen, my wife and I. This is the life we've crafted. We have five acres. We have two dogs, one of which is a great Pyrenees. She's like the best snuggler of all time. Like just this huge dog comes and throws herself all of you. You have to be a dog lover to love it. But there's, there's such a great freedom, I think, that comes from saying, yeah, I could have this other thing, but I choose this instead. Indeed. Indeed. Well, I know you're an avid reader. What are you reading right now? What's your, your book you're currently reading? What's your current input? Absolutely. So I've got a couple. Right now, I'm kind of in a business book kick. So I've got a book called Giftology. In fact, I could probably reach it right over there I'm reading right now, which is the idea of how do you make people's day based upon what you give to them. And I have to confess, like, I'm a big fan of the love languages, right? And so my number five, my worst one is gift giving. And of course, we always tend to marry opposites. So my wife's her number one. 
is gift giving, right? <laughs> and so they could say this is business. You could say this is personal. The book kind of covers both. Uh, another great one is called, I'm reading right now, it's called Ask by uh, Ryan Levesque, I think. And I'm about halfway through that book. And that book, basically, that's more business focused, but it talks about the idea of if you want to know what somebody wants, ask them. And that seems like a very simple concept, but the truth is we don't do it. And it talks about ways to formulate, go about trying to find, how can I help you? What can I do for you? And I think it's just really, really great questions to get us thinking about what it is we're doing, who we're here to serve. Wow. Those sound fascinating. I'm, I'm going to have to look into those. I'm really glad I, I asked you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about your childhood. You had a rough childhood and, and what happened and how did that affect you? Absolutely. And, and this is a little bit of a darker story. So hang with me here. I was raised in a pretty dysfunctional family in rural northern Michigan. We didn't have a lot of money. And my father was pretty abusive and verbally and even physically. And unfortunately, that continued to progress getting worse. And it was it was a rough household. Like it was a household that primarily lived on fear. And then when I was in sixth grade, it was discovered that he wasn't just abusive that way. And there were things that happened with him and my sister, and he went to jail for 10 years. And so this really kind of set the stage for what Michael should expect from the world. And Michael should expect no mercy, no compassion, just, you know, hardness. This is where the rubber meets the road. If you're in the way, the tire is going to hit you. And I came out of that situation. Well, I say out of that, I was still living at home now with a single mother who had no job, had no degree, had no way of providing for the family. And so obviously there's a tremendous amount of stress there. Um, wow. If I just ever for a moment dive into, there's a psychology term called triangulation, which is where you have the attachment between one parent and a child, the opposite gender gets too close. And even though that's not overtly a sexual abuse, that's often called in psychology, subtle sexual abuse, because it affects how you grow up. And my mother and I were badly triangulated. And because there's the way that this family evolved. And then this progresses, right? So I'm in middle school at the time he leaves. But by the time I got to high school, I was an angry young man. I was hurting. I love John Maxwell's line, hurting people hurt people. Mm -hmm. I was wicked smart. And I was super angry. And so I was very, very good. I hate to say this, Danielle, but I was an utter jerk. Like, and that's putting up mildly. And there's good reason for it. But like, my peers didn't understand that. And the truth is, I was very good at slicing them up and down intellectually, verbally. And so they would respond by shaming me. I lived in a small town. Everyone knew what my dad had done. And so what's the natural thing that happens if the high schoolers don't know what to throw back at me, they throw that back at me. And so that just really just reinforced this identity that Michael is broken, he's unlovable, he's unwanted, you know, and so I'm kind of coming up out of high school. And I took away, I think, two lessons. Both of them were pretty toxic. One of which was if I want anything in this world, I got to bust my butt and grab it, you know, grab it to the ground and pin it down and take it for myself. And number two, you can't trust people, and you can't let them get close. And so that kind of that, that kind of summons up my starting point right there. Wow. Yeah. Trust issues are very big with oh, so trauma. <laughs> so common. And attachment issues, issues. Yes. Those are just so prevalent, but we know, even you and I know, I should say we, because not everyone does. Some people, they think time heals all wounds. We've heard that line. Time heals all wounds. Time does not heal all wounds and time no, does, does not. not heal trauma, but you got to a point where you're like, Hey, Something's got to give, something's wrong. What, what happened there? 
So I think what happened here is I, I tried a couple techniques to heal trauma. Like I went for the time factor. I also went for the for the tried and true, bury it as deep as you can factor, right? Like if, if you can't just have time, you may as well just start digging a hole and shove it down there. And there's a funny thing that happens when as a young person, you go up to college and you kind of get to reinvent yourself. Like there was one guy I knew from high school who went to the same college I went to. And he was actually one of the nicer guys I was in better terms with. And it felt a little bit like I had this start over. And I'll just forget mm -hmm. everything that happened in Michael's childhood and we'll leave all that in the past and we'll move on. And so here I am, I bust my butt, I work through undergraduate, I work through graduate school and I have my big degree. I get my first real job. I'm making money. Like already I'm saying to myself, uh-huh, Michael, you've left that behind. This is the new you. Don't need to worry about that. I get married. And I get married and, you know, it's a little bumpy, but I'm like, I'm just getting used to how, what it's like to be married, right? You know, I know I'm an abrasive personality. Don't tell my wife I said that. And we have our first child. And I remember this day so well, we're at church, okay? She's one and she was just being a typical one-year-old, but I, I was so, I was having a bad day. I think it was a start, bad start to the morning. And then she just, every time like, oh, we need to be quiet. She just started screech crying and it just touched this nerve in me. I didn't know it was there. And I remember going back to the cry room and I was just so angry. Like I didn't hurt her or anything physically like that, but I could just tell, like I was just filled with this rage. And I'm like, what in the world? Where is this coming from? Like, I'm just so mad. And I realized in that moment, oh shoot, I didn't leave my past as much behind as I thought I did. It came back. <laughs> Oh yeah, it was always there. It's always there. <laughs> well, people shove it down like a I compare it to like putting a beach ball under the water. Yeah. You can't see it. It's not there. It's gone. It's gone, but you let go and out it comes. That's right. It's like a, With there's a like a boomerang, splash. you know. I'm I'm burying that, throw that boomerang, but here it comes back and hits you upside the head. <laughs> Absolutely. And I was just like side, like just totally hypnotized. Like I could not believe that this much was still there. Yeah, that's, I just want to pause here for a minute, that that much would still be there. You who are listening, you can try and shove it down as much as you want. It will come back. It will rise up. And every time you shove it down, it will come back stronger each time until you will have no choice but to deal with it. So true. I'm just... Thank you that you you did that. I mean, that could have gotten ugly if you would have shoved it down again, because that, you know, our emotions can take us over. We disassociate all kinds of things like that. And it's like, but you you saw how you were feeling inside. You're holding your little one and you're it probably scared you. Did it scare oh, you? Absolutely. Like I was terrified. I think my thought was something like, I'm becoming my dad. And that was just a horrifying thought to me. Oh, I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, he's the guy I hate the most. Like all of this was to get away from being him. And now I'm being him. Like that was just terrifying. And yeah. I, I can say like, there's this was a critical time period here where like I could see it and I didn't know what to do about it. And this actually enters in and it's like this moment that God reached down and put someone special into my life. And so I want to tell the story. And so it's actually an appropriate moment because this one son, I'm so mad and I didn't know it, but there's another man in that cry room. And he didn't say any word to me that day, but he was watching. And the next Sunday, he kind of waited till, you know, we'd walked out of the church and there was no one else there. And he just waved and walked over and said, Hey, my name is Ben. Do you have a moment that I can talk to you real quick? And like, he timed it perfectly. 
And I said, uh, sure, yeah, go ahead. And the wife's like, I'll take care of the kids, don't worry. I think she was in on this, by the way. I don't know for sure. I actually never really asked her. But so here's this moment. Ben <laughs> walks up to me and, he says, and he's so humble. He says, you know, it's none of my business. I don't mean to pry. I know that I went through a period of my life where I really struggled, a lot of things, a lot of stuff. And somebody came to me and offered me some help. And now I need to offer you some help. He pulls out of his pocket. So this is a flash drive. It's got some audio talks on a couple audio books. This is some stuff that really, really helped me. I'd like to give it to you. If I walk away and throw in the trash, I don't care. It's up to it's yours. But if, if something in here speaks to you, and if you ever need someone to talk to, feel free to give me a number, give me a call. And he gives me a card with his number on it. And that's it. And he says, God bless. Now that we're praying for you, he walks away. And I have to admit, at first, my first thought was horror. I was like, oh no, someone saw me. They saw that I have these problems. And then I kind of like just downplayed, I shoved the thing in my pocket deep down, right? Kind of went home. And it's, it was so difficult for me to grapple with that somebody else had seen something that I had so successfully hid for so many years. Like when I left high school, that was the breaking point. I was like, nobody will know that I have a past anymore. Nobody will get to see that part of Michael because nobody wants that part. And so Ben saw it and through the grace of God, lovingly, he said it in a way that I was able to be open to the possibility that maybe he didn't just hate me for my past. And so I, I loaded it up onto my phone and started listening to those. And perhaps not quite as subtle. The very first one was a talk about anger and it was appropriate. It was awesome. Deacon Bob McDonald, if I remember the name who spoke about it. And I remember listening to this. I'm like, oh, shoot. I'm guilty of every one of these things he says, and I'm doing this and this. And he kept bringing up another, like, oh, I do that too. I was like, oh, oh, man. But then he talked about what to do instead. I what was, was like, this guy's oh. name again? Uh, Deacon Bob McDonald. I, I don't remember the name of the talk, uh, but he had this great metaphor that I'll never forget, which is like this, this, imagine you're in this elevator in this building and the height, the floor you're on is an indicator of your mood. And when your elevator goes down to the bottom, all you see is the trash and everything is horrible. And you, when you're angry and in a bad mood, you can't even see the good. And he said, if nothing else, learn to doubt what you think you see when you're in the first floor. Because at some point in time, you can go up and when you're on the 80th floor, you see out the most beautiful cityscape, the sunrise and all that. And he said, they're both true. But when you're down there, you can't see the other. Right. And I think that was so helpful for me because so often I kept trying to tell myself that what I saw in the darkness wasn't true. You're just making up, Michael. And I love that he gave me permission to say, when you're dark, you do see stuff that's real, but it's not complete. Like that's just one tiny excerpt from his talk. Wow. That's really cool. I wanted to backtrack a little bit to what you said about Ben, because when we were talking beforehand, I want to make a distinction here because I think I learned something and our listeners can learn something too, because I thought, wow, someone saw you, but you were like, ah, someone saw me. Yeah. There are two different kinds of being seen. Yes. And we hide because we don't want to be seen. But when we're hiding, we really want to be seen. So we have this war of being seen because there's a shame that we're afraid of. There's I a think rejection that's... that we're afraid of. Thank you for calling me out on that. And it's so funny because actually you calling me out right now, that is exactly a perfect time to a deeper part of my story. I am by my, because of my damage, I'm a voider type when it comes to emotional connections. I tend to withdraw, I tend to avoid. And that is something I've had to work on tremendously, especially in my own marriage as yeah, time goes on. But at that time, attachment theory. 
exactly, exactly. <laughs> At that time, I was in that moment. And it's funny, even right now, I still role model that avoidance because of course, it's also true that part of me wanted to be seen, but it feels so much safer. Even this moment as I'm telling the story to say, oh, but the shame was so loud. And it was so loud, but they were both there. And there was a part of me that wanted to be seen. There's a tiny part of me that longed that somebody could look at me and all of my ugliness and say, actually, I still like you. Like that was something like I, I was desperate for that, like water in the desert, but also terrified that it wasn't possible and terrified that anyone who actually saw it would not have that response. And so it's true. They're, they are so both there. And for me, that shame was just part and parcel of what I breathed going through this whole story. Yeah. Wow. And what you just said there, that's like the whole core message of the gospel, right? That, that God sees us in all of our horrible, ugly messiness, knows everything about us and loves us anyways, and accepts us and took care of all the things that we have need of <laughs> to right. clean us up and to make us clean and to help us heal and all the details of that. But we need to go just to that one thing. If he saw all that, ugh, it says, I love you. And that's I, like so, the call of our heart, the cry of our heart. And you had just said that you wanted to be seen. But with who we are, that's who we are. We're, we're, we're humans. Humans have messes. I think that's so true. And I think for me, even if I bring in the faith, even at that time, I really struggle with seeing God the Father as the tyrant as here's the rules, follow the rules. Michael, you didn't follow the rules. Here comes the consequences. Like, I think, I know I've, I've talked to many, many men who struggle that their image of God is the harsh God of justice of the Old Testament. We take the worst parts. And when you read the Old Testament carefully, you see the mercy there as well. But it's easy on a surface reading just to see hard justice. Mm -hmm. And I was, I had converted at this point in time. But my relationship with God was much more that of the harsh master and the, the deservingly to be beaten servant. And I had not yet connected with our Lord on that intimate level of acceptance at this point in the story. And that's so important to make that transition. When the Lord came and found me, I, he was that tyrant to me as well. That's the way I had learned him also. We get that either through teaching or we get that through, we have a dad like that. You had a yeah. dad like that. So that was modeled. There are many, many people who have a, a dad and they just struggle with the idea of a loving father, God, because like if they say, oh, he's like a father. Well, I want nothing to do with him then. Right. <laughs> it's like, he's not like that father. It's like, we have to illustrate the love because like you said, the mercy was there in the old Testament, but you have to go looking for it and have people unpack that for you. Like I learned a great deal of that with a, there's a minister named Joseph Prince. He preaches on the Old Testament so much. The story of Jesus, showing us Jesus in the Old Testament yeah. it is just phenomenal because it transforms your mentality of that. It and really does. The, the foreshadowing of things is just, I'm gonna digress into something completely different. I'm gonna <laughs> rein myself back here, but coming out of that harshness into the love, that's part of why I do what I do and how I become that lady on the internet who loves you because people need to know that they're loved right there, right where they are right now. And once you can like get a half a clue on that, then you can start to do something else. So true, <laughs> so true. So uh, if it's okay with you, I'll share actually how I kind of came to that a little bit myself as the story goes here. So here's Ben. And 
I was, I don't know, maybe a couple months of me listening to these talks before I was brave enough to reach out to him. It took a while. Like I, I'm kind of a, a coward at this one. And eventually I do. And I just text him because that's, you know, the easy way. I say, hey, this is Michael Jake with, you gave me the stuff mm-hmm. at church. Do you ever have time with me meet for lunch or something like that? And he said, totally. Uh, how about this day or this day? And I said, we picked one, we talked. And it was so great because he talked to me and I could tell he didn't want to be pushy, but he just wanted to be there and be with me. So we talked through some stuff and I loved, and like I started finding, okay, maybe there's some hope, but he told me as well, I should go to this men's conference. And I'm like, I don't know. It sounds lame. Like I just read books and I just take care of myself. I don't need to hear some guy like Sam talk to me. He said, well, did the stuff you listened to on that help? I'm like, yes. And he said, well, I want to check it out. And so I go there and a guy named Father Larry Richards, he gives, he gave me two images that utterly rocked my world and started me on the next step. And he said, it's, e- it's easier for women to imagine themselves as the bride of Christ than for men to imagine themselves fulfilling the role of the bride of Christ. But he said, sometimes for men, it's helpful to have the following image. Either number one, imagine that God the Father is here and you are the little boy inside you that crawls up onto his lap and gives him a hug. Or number two image that might be helpful is you are the beloved apostle John at the last supper and you lay your head upon the chest of our Lord and just rest there. And as a guy, I could do neither of those. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually went up to, to Father afterwards. I'm like, Father Larry, what do I do? Because I, I can't do either one of those. And he said, go to adoration, which is something we do as Catholics, and pray about it. And I did that. And I remember being there in this moment of prayer saying, Jesus, I can't imagine laying my head on your chest and being accepted. And I said, I, I read in the book, I hold the Bible, I, I read here, it says you love me, but I don't know what that means or what that feels like. And he looks at me and says to me, not audibly, like I, I didn't hear a voice audibly, but just in voice in my head, how do you regard yourself? And I thought, I, my immediate said, fine, I'm fine. What are you talking about? Of course it's fine. He's like, he just paused, <laughs> science be there. I'm like, Okay, maybe not fine, but like, it's, I'm sure it's good enough. And he, in his wisdom, says nothing. That's the silence hanging a little bit longer. And then eventually I'm like, okay, fine, I kind of hate myself. And I realized, and this is something I've read since then, it's very, very difficult for us to ever take something in that contradicts what we believe to be true about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I realized I believed I was unlovable. I was unwantable. I hated myself. And so it's, it's so hard. And even that day, like, I think he opened a little crack. And that, that's just the crack of the, the in thought work we call it, the what if. What if he actually did love me? And that was the start right there, like, where I was like, oh, my goodness. And it was, it was a difficult journey. But, like, I think it yeah. took a lot of years of me just allowing that crack to be there, allowing the idea that maybe God can love me, despite all the horrific, yucky stuff in my past. And yeah, I think that is so important as, as, as we go down the Christian journey, learning to love ourselves because God loves us is at least for me, one of the hardest parts of that journey. Well, there are teachings, churches, I don't know, I'm be nice in general, because then, you know, it's not everywhere, but it's quite prevalent that you need to hate yourself. Yeah. Because you need to die to self. You need to hate yourself. You need to, you know, hate yourself and your family. And you just like, and then you're like, but then I'm supposed to love it. And it's very confusing. Oh, very much so. 
Very confusing. That's one of the things that I address. And I really thank you for sharing that, my, your inability to do that. That's something that I do with my clients and it's in my book is I say, entertain the possibility. Right. What entertain if? the possibility. Because you can put that over there and you're, you're safe over here. The possibility is over here. But then because God loves us so much, he like brings it little by little by little over more. And because we do, we do need to love ourselves. We can't give what we don't have. Right. You know, right. it's so true. And he said to love one another as we love ourselves, which then that becomes confusing with all that other hate stuff. And what I've heard called worm theology or whatever out there, it's like, he loves us. And love is the core. God is love. The Bible says God is love. And when we get off of that, things get real nasty. So love is really the core and loving yourself. And then you, you started to believe that love, God loved you, right? One of the, and one of the scripture verses that always bother me as an engineer is the, the line he says, to he who has even more will be given and to he who has not even what he has will be taken away. And that, as an engineer, my brain already goes like, that doesn't make sense at all. If he does have has not, how can you take any more away? Like negative numbers don't exist in this context, Lord. You don't know what you're talking about. I, I'm, I'm a little arrogant sometimes in how I talk to God. Like my start of my you know, prayer life was- We all will be, if we'll yeah. be honest. And that's what he wants. Because he wants Honestly, our heart. Absolutely, so he true. He wants our heart, so true. we gotta bring the ugly. We gotta bring that. That doesn't make any sense. I just did that the other day. And it was reading something that Jesus said, and so that explains blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that does not explain that. <laughs> yep, <laughs> but we exactly. bring that to him. It's all about the relationship. It's not we're supposed to go read and do you know five things and then we're done. No, it's about the relationship. I, I was just talking to a client the other day. This is so, so interesting. And he was really struggling because he's like, yes, I love God. And I could tell there's a disingenuous nature to what he was saying. And I said, do you completely trust that God will care for you and your family and give you everything you need to get you to heaven? And he's like, maybe he said, and you think that he loves you and cares about you on the way. And he couldn't say it. I'm like, oh, so tell me again, how you really feel, about your relationship with our Lord. He's like, well, maybe not so good. I'm like, have you told him that? He's like, oh, no, I could never say that to him. I'm like, why not? He's like, well, that'd be rude. All that was, fear. Yeah. <laughs> And that, that, actually, that big, the big God with the big gavel is going to beat you upside down. <laughs> right. Or that I'll be a bad person if I speak that with that crude of language or that course of emotion to, to our Lord. I say, no way, man. He wants all of you, including that bit. Mm-hmm. And so I give homework. And one of the, his homework was to go home and write. If he had to write it down first, it's fine. But then he had to say everything there to our Lord. He came back the next week and he had this big old smile on his face. Like, I was so sure I'd be rejected and like beat down with a gavel of infinite justice. But instead, God said he loved me anyways. And he was like, I'm even try- tearing up a little bit right now as I remember the story. because He was just crying. And, you know, men do cry. You just got to touch, touch yeah. the deep parts. And they need it to was get a permission wonderful too. moment. If yeah, they've it's been true. schooled that you can't cry. They, they need permission that it's not shaming. It doesn't make them less of a man. I mean, society out there just bashes that so bad. And so inside true. many families, the culture and the family does that as well. And it's really, it's not healthy. <laughs> it's, it's utterly toxic because it's not like we as men stop having emotions just because we're not displaying them. They're mm-hmm. still there. But when we don't process them, it, it's like any, if you ate food and you didn't process it and the food just sat in your stomach, that's really bad. Like we all know where that would go. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing with emotions. Yeah. 
Wow, that's a great little illustration. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> wow. Wow, that was really good. That was really good. Well, um, you're a life coach specifically for Catholic men. Mm -hmm. And why did you become a life coach? And why specifically for Catholic men? So, so great a question. Um, to set the stage in this, I need to go back and echo that. I've got my PhD in chemistry. I'm working in this corporate environment, right? I, truth be told, I'm making pretty good money. Like they call it golden handcuffs for a reason. And, but yet I've got like this secret part of my life that's going on in the background, started by our, our noble hero, Ben, rolled, rode in his golden steed uh, called Courage. And those few conversations with him set me off. There was another set that happened. I was given this gift of the world's best boss, just the super short version of to set the stage for him. When I, I was promoted very quickly, I was very successful in the corporate environment. Um, but one year after being given my own team, my boss calls me to the side, says, we got to talk. I'm like, what's up? And he's like, everyone in your team wants to leave because they can't stand working for you. And, he, and I'm like, ooh, did not see that coming. That's a, that's a gut punch. But he's like, not getting all of them, 100%. I'm like, okay. He looks me in the eye and he says, but I see the potential in you. And if you're willing to learn and change, I'll give you another team. And I had to process first. And I'm like, okay, let's do that. That sounds good. I mean, he was ruthless, utterly in a loving way, ruthless. Every email I sent out, every meeting I held, he would afterwards rip apart all I said, tell me why I said it in a way that hurt people's feelings or offended people or caused friction and just told me why it did that and helped me understand that to the point where two years later, I had one of those original team members that wanted to leave in a meeting and he almost, not violently, but aggressively pulls me off to the side afterwards and says, Michael, what happened? You're a different man. That is not the same meeting. It was in two years ago. And I said, oh, well, uh, my boss helped me. And here's what he did. He's like, who? I should talk to him. I want some of that too. And there's been a number of people that God has put in my path that have really blessed me. And I realized towards the end of my corporate world, I said, the only part of my day I love the most is helping all the people that I interact with. And so I'm like, I prayed about intensely. And God said, yeah, that's what I'm calling you to do. And so my wife and I both, we, we took the, we, we, obviously when you're married, healthy marriage, both parties have to be hundred percent on board with the plan that's this audacious, but she had a similar calling. My wife is a life coach that works with women. And I'm a life coach now that works with men. And we took the plunge and left the corporate world. But in terms of why men, particularly, I think there's a safety that men in particular need to be talking to another man. It's very, very, very hard for men to not all, but many men to really touch those deep emotions. And it's even harder yet when there's a woman there. I'm not saying it's impossible. There are many wonderful women therapists, but there's a certain connection that allows me as a guy to talk to a guy. And I absolutely think you can find good help cross-gender for sure. But my wife and I lean on that. The other part, so I'll be, I'm gonna put my whole hand out here. I do have plenty of Protestant clients. So I, it's not like I only work with Catholics. Oh, when, okay. I say I'm, I, when I say I'm a Catholic life coach, I mean that I'm Catholic. And I oh, say it that okay. way because I am proud of my faith. And I stand up on that. And I include the faith in coaching and in my work. And I believe that the divine physician allows us to be broken, to be damaged, to be wounded, so that when we invite him in, our connection with him grows ever deeper through that healing process. And for me to be a life coach and not say, I think the faith matters and it's helpful and it changes how you heal is totally inconsistent with my past. Like I would not be here today as a functioning human being, except for Ben's intervention, 
countless other moments of prayer since then where that faith pushed me along the direction. And whether you're Catholic, Protestant, um, I don't have any Mormon clients yet, but I'm, I'm open to that possibility. Like whatever it is, like as long as you say Jesus is Lord and he's able to come in and I will make him, give him a spot. I, oh, I didn't even notice that. So perfect. Then I'm happy to work with you because I think to do otherwise cuts us off from the most profound, magnificent source of love and healing there is in the whole universe. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. That was wonderful. Wow. I just love that. Can't wait for this to get on the podcast and for me to share this everywhere because it's such an important message. It is an important message. Faith is central to who I am and what I do. Like you see my Jesus is Lord right. back there. It's so funny. I didn't even notice that as I was saying that. <laughs> I've had that since uh, before I got married, back when, after God found me and I just, I take it everywhere. It's like a focal point for me. I keep it there. It's just Nice reminder. It's, it's so important. It's like bottom line, Jesus is Lord and God is loved. I mean, those are two of the most important things that are central to our faith. Yes, so but, true. So you incorporate your science knowledge with your coaching. Mm. How does that fit in with your coaching? Absolutely. And the, the answer is beautifully. One of the things I love to get to tell people about is everyone's always like science versus religion versus new agey hippie coaching stuff. And I'm like, oh no, guys if only should all three fold together beautifully. And it's, of course, we would expect no less. Truth folds with truth all the time. So let's talk about this for a little bit. As a human being, it's so easy for me to minimalize the level of complexity of what's going on inside my own head. My head, your head, all of ours, we have brains that are more complex than anything else out there. Just looking at the neurons, forget all the chemicals that are involved as well. Like even a, a great example here is when I look around the room right now, right? As I'm, my eyeballs are moving, I'd like to think that what my brain thinks I'm seeing is based on where my eyeballs are going, but it's not. Four-fifths of what I think I'm seeing is actually generated by one part of my brain, the visual cortex in the back, set, sent to the, um, I'm pulling a blank, come to me in a second, the, the central part that handles from the eyes. And so you get four-fifths coming from the visual cortex, one-fifth coming from the eyes. And all that your eyes do is update what you already expect to see. And at first you say, Michael, that sounds cool, but why does that matter? And I say, here's why it matters. When you're a husband who's walking the door from a bad day at work and the back of your brain is loaded with negativity and you walk in the door, your eyeballs only get one part in five contribution and they're already preloaded for what to look for. There could be a million wonderful, miraculously things happening with your family when you walk in the door, but you're not going to see them neurologically, you can't see them. Your brain is hyper-focused on all the bad things. And it's going to find, oh, there's some spilled milk there earlier. Oh, those kids' shoes aren't put away. Oh, oh, I see that that kid, the dog went over and chewed that up. Like, that's just what your brain's going to do. Wow, and I'm not I never knew to... that. That's fascinating. It's so interesting as we dive into this. Uh, and the ability of your brain to create your understanding of the world around you is hard to overestimate. But knowing that, as we yeah. come to understand how we neurologically work, I tell guys, look, if you're in the car and you're driving home and you've got the death grip on the wheel and you're doing this, don't walk in that door. Stop for a second. If you got to stop and pray, like the, the prayer can just simply be, Lord, help me. I don't know what to do. I'm still waiting. Like something. I love those kind of prayers. I love that. It doesn't have to be flowery or long or anything. Just God help. Something. <laughs> And know that if you walk in that door in that mental state, you're setting everybody up for failure. Like, 
you're not going to be loving to them. And it's not a matter of trying harder. So often people tell me, oh, Michael, I just try so hard. Like, great. Here's a screw that's put in. I'm going to give you a hammer. How are you going to try hard to get the screw out with a hammer? Like, it's the wrong tool. I don't care if you're trying harder. If you don't do it with the right tool, it doesn't matter. Right. One more great study that I read about, just because I have to share this one, but in terms of the power of the brain. So and 10 years ago, 12 years ago now, I ripped my ACL. So the ACL is the anterior cruciate ligand runs through your knee. It's a big, thick tendon, right? The ligand. And when you rip it, you generally just shatter into smithereens. So they, here's the study. They take this group of people who've all ripped their ACLs. Half the group, they cut their knee open and do the surgery. Horrible surgery, by the way. Recovery is so painful. The other half, they perform the external incision upon the knee, but do not perform the surgery, but tell them they do. So as a scientist, your brain's like, cool, one half's going to work, one half's not going to work, right? The two groups recover at the same rate. Like we talk about placebo effect. And it's one thing to say, here's a sugar pill, here's a pain pill. Look, they have the same effect. And my claim to you is that it's not limited just to a pill. Like your brain creates the reality you expect to find. If you walk into your workplace expecting to have people be grumpy with you, they will be. If you walk into your home expecting your wife to be grumpy with you, she will be. But by the grace of God, our wives sometimes, you know, surprise us that way. <laughs> But to understand, that is what's going on here. That's what we're playing with. So when I say your thoughts matter, what goes on in this little tiny gray you know here matters, I mean it. Yeah, and that's where the science comes in. Yeah, there's the brain, but then there's the mind. That's the thing that operates all that gray matter you were talking about. And that's what we, we have the power to control. Absolutely. You know, is the mind. That's how we can affect the brain. I'm, I'm reading a book by Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's a famous neuroscientist. And it is, it's fascinating what we have the power to do with our mind and can affect our brain and all that stuff that you were talking about. That's phenomenal. So how can people connect with you? If people want to get coaching from you or even, you know, get any resources from you, how can people find you? Absolutely. And thank you so much for the invitation. You can find me at my website, www.catholiclifecoachformen.com or the podcast named Catholic Life Coach for Men. If you are a woman and you're looking for some help, you can definitely check out my wife. She and her business partner are at www.madeforgreatness.co. They couldn't afford the M. So there's, it wasn't until we find a sale on M's, it's just .co. And it comes from Quote Benedict, I think, who said, you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. And I, I love that message. And so they also have a podcast, Made for Greatness. And so that'd be the best spot to find us, depending on what you're looking for. One thing I will often tell people though, is you never get to tell somebody else to get help, whether it's coaching, therapy, whatever. If, if you are, I talk to men, so I'm going to use the male set of pronouns here for a second. But if you're a dude who says, I want my wife to do better, I say, great, fix yourself first. If you say, I want my kids to do better, I say, great, fix yourself first. The most important thing you can do for the person you love is not to get them help, but to get yourself and I think that's so important for all of us who would love for our spouses, bosses, whatever, to go fix themselves. Yeah, well, I love this quote by Carol Burnett. Only I can change my life. No one can do it for me. We so can't true. control the other person. We don't, we, that's coercion and manipulation if we're going to be doing that. The only one we actually have the power to control is our own self. So thank you for sharing that. Work on yourself first. And I want to pause here too to, point back to something that Michael had shared with you guys about Ben. Ben took courage and reached out into Michael's life. And it profoundly changed Michael's life. And it seems like such a small thing that 
Ben did, but the ripple effect of what he did. So if you ever want to reach out to someone, take courage, do it like Ben did. Do it with hands open, no strings attached, just offer it up and love them. See them and love them. And on the flip side of that, if someone has reached out to you in that way, maybe even they reached out not in the best way, but they tried to and kind of fell down and skinned their knee maybe a little bit. Take courage and reach back. Reach for the help. Get the help that you need. Humanity is messed up as by and large. The last two years, we have been through so much. I know the statistics are like 80% of people have been traumatized. I'm not going to get into the science of trauma. I would venture to say that because what's gone on in the world, I would, my opinion, not scientific, it's 100%. <laughs> I agree. So get some help, whatever help serves you, whether you want to reach out to Michael here or to his wife or to, to me or to someone at your church, wherever. But get the help you need because you matter. And you were born for greatness. The wording I use is to reclaim your God-given greatness. It's so similar to the same thing because it's all true. The truth is the truth. So do you have anything you would like to add here, Michael? One last thing I want to add, and I try to tell this to everyone. So many of us think of ourselves as broken right now. And today in modern life, what do we do with something that's broken? I've got a pen right here. When it breaks, I'm going to throw it away. However, that's not what God designed us to be. God designed us so that when we are broken, we can be healed and be made stronger than when we started. If you break an arm, when you the bone heals, there's more bone mass than before. It is stronger. And invite everyone that if you feel broken to have hope, you're not alone and you can be healed and can come out even stronger on the other side. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being with me today, Michael, and sharing your story. That was, We just had a great time. I really enjoyed that. Daniel, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for your time. And I thank the listeners for their time as well. All right. See you in a minute. Thank you, everyone, for being with us today. That was just phenomenal. I learned a lot myself, and I love doing that. I love doing these interviews. I love sharing stories with you because it will change your life. It will help you. But it also helps me, and stories change our lives. So thank you for being with us today. Until next time. I'm Danielle Burnock from DanielleBurnock.com. Love yourself from Survive to Thrive, that lady on the internet who loves you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Victoria Souls Podcast. You matter and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further. So please visit us at DanielleBurnock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, only you can change your life. No one can do it for you.